Can you hear us okay? Great. If you don't know me, I'm Dave. Everyone knows someone called Dave, I'm sure. So, so if you don't, then you know me, so you know someone called Dave. I'm a member of the church here at Ebenezer. I'm married to Anne. Um, I have two sons, Nathan and Jake, and a dog called Brody, uh, who kind of dominates our life, the dog, more than the kids. Um, we're going to carry on in our series in Luke this morning, looking at the passage that was just read out. Uh, but before I do, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for bringing us here safely this morning and for those able to join us online to worship you and study your word. We pray you will open our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us today, that you will challenge us, encourage us, and draw us closer to you. Amen. So, if you know anything about me, then you'll know I'm a big fan of space. Not empty space, but the space that's out there amongst the stars and galaxies. I'm pretty much a space nut, and the family will agree on that. I have two telescopes, two telescopes. I own a piece of Apollo 11. didn't cost much. It sounds like it would, but it didn't. Yeah, that, and that's a piece of the spaceship that orbited the moon while Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin landed on it. And I've also been fortunate enough to visit Kennedy Space Center in America. And here's a picture of me looking really serious, standing in front of the space shuttle Atlantis. I was actually shaking at that point. That's how much of a space nut I am. You see, I was the kid in school who wanted to be an astronaut when they grew up. I'm still the kid who wants to be an astronaut now. In fact, this is true, I entered a competition multiple times a couple of years ago to win a flight into space with Virgin Galactic, and I was gutted when I didn't win. See, I grew up in the late 1960s, early 70s, when NASA was putting men on the moon. It was incredible to watch, and that's when my interest really began. So the next exciting adventure, as far as space is concerned, is sending people to Mars. The plan is to one day build a colony on the red planet with people from Earth leaving Earth and going to live there on a world far off in our solar system. One day, future generations will have the choice to live in this world or live on another world 140 million miles away. A choice to live on a different world. That's incredible. But you know what? You have a choice of worlds to live in today. It's what Jesus is talking about in this passage. So ask yourself, which world are you living in now? Which world have you chosen to live in? Are you living in this world? the world immediately around us? Or are you wanting to live in God's kingdom? For you, is this present world enough? Or are you craving something more and the blessings of a closer walk with God and an eternal relationship with him? You see, you can't live in both worlds. It's like blasting off to Mars, then partway there, turning around and going back to Earth, then changing your mind and heading back off to Mars again. Eventually, you'll run out of fuel. You'll be stuck in between two worlds, ultimately lost and drifting. 
The good news is that in this passage, Jesus shows us the way to live in the world God intended us to live in and enjoy a blessed and fulfilled life with him now and forever. To help us go through the passage, I've split today's readings into three headings. Firstly, Jesus is the king of the kingdom. Then, Jesus promises the blessings of the kingdom. And finally, I'll ask us to look to the reward of the kingdom. However, before we look at Jesus as the king of the kingdom, I'd like to turn our attention to two things at the start of the reading. Two things I don't want us to miss out on. You see, the reading starts with Jesus heading in to a mountainside to pray on verse 12. In fact, it says Jesus spent the night praying to God. After this, he then chose his 12 apostles. But note here, even Jesus, God's son, before teaching, before making an important decision, prays to God. In fact, this is the only account of an all-night prayer recorded in the Bible. Jesus also seeks somewhere distant to pray. Verse 13, it says that Jesus called his disciples to him in the morning, so presumably he was alone before this. But think about that. God the Son takes time to commune with God the Father. He removes himself from all the attention he was attracting, the crowds, the excitement, and spends all night with his father in prayer. If Jesus needed time away to pray to God, how much more do we need to do the same? I'm speaking to myself here. Do we find a quiet place to pray? Do we find somewhere without distractions? And how long do we pray for? Do we seek God's guidance when facing important decisions in our lives? Do we seek God's guidance full stop? The second thing to notice is the choice of the apostles. So after praying all night, the next morning, Jesus calls his disciples to him and chooses 12 of them. Verse 14 to 16. Simon, who he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. The word apostle literally means sent out. So these are the people who Jesus has chosen to begin the spread of the gospel and share the good news. To do that, you'd expect an elite team of teachers and intellectuals to best convey and witness to Jesus' life and teachings. But no, the pretty normal people, including a fisherman, a tax collector, they include someone who would ultimately be skeptical of this mission and would ask to see evidence of Jesus' resurrection. And it also included a person who would one day betray Jesus. It's a diverse group who don't display on first glance the skill set we'd immediately think God requires to establish his kingdom. But that should give us hope. Back in my school, stood against the playground wall, I was always the last kid to get picked for the football team. Thankfully, there isn't a photo of me being the last kid being picked, but... 
You didn't have phones back in those days, let's say that. My biggest achievement in football was being a substitute for the school B team. I didn't get a game. But if you love and know the Lord Jesus, then sat in church today, watching at home, you may think God would never pick me or use me to spread his gospel. But God won't leave you against the playground wall. He knows you. He has a job for you. He wants to use you to spread his gospel and do his will. So take time away from the distractions of life. Spend time in prayer with the Father and let God lead and guide you and ask him to reveal the plan he has for you. So the apostles are chosen and now it's time for teaching. And this is my first point. Jesus is the king of the kingdom. Jesus is the king of the kingdom. You see, it's important to establish who Jesus is if we are to trust and follow and truly believe what he teaches us and what he wants us to do. Verses 17 to 19 establish clearly who Jesus is because before Jesus teaches those gathered there, he heals them. Verses 17 to 19. A large crowd of his disciples were there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. They came to hear Jesus and also to be healed of their diseases and have impure spirits cast out. So Jesus is more than a teacher. His power is proof of who he is. Jesus is about to teach the crowd about God's kingdom. About, but the divine power he displays, the power that came out of him, described in these passages, proves that he is, in fact, the king of this kingdom. Through these and other miracles, Jesus is showing us again who he is. And who is Jesus? He is the Messiah, God's son. He healed the sick, fed the hungry, raised the dead. And while we were still sinners, he died for us and rose again for the forgiveness of our sins. Who better to teach the crowd and teach us all here today about his kingdom than the king himself. So we've established that Jesus is the king of the kingdom. And now my second point. Jesus promises the blessings of the kingdom. And those blessings are described in verses 20 to 26. This part of today's passage is commonly known as the blessings and woes. And we'll spend the majority of our time on this section of the passage. Jesus lists four blessings followed by four corresponding woes. But for the purpose of this morning, I'm going to join them up together. So each blessing is linked with the woe it's related to. I'll start with verse 20. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And then verse 24, but woe to you who are rich for you have already received your comfort. Blessed are the poor, woe to the rich. 
When Jesus says the poor will have the kingdom of God, what he isn't saying is that those people who are materially poor will automatically receive God's kingdom, regardless of how they are living their lives or what they believe. No, Jesus is primarily talking about spiritual poverty. Those who are humble, those who are dependent on him, dependent on God, and completely understand their deep need of him. But we do need to understand that our financial circumstances can affect our relationship with God in both a positive but also a negative way. Right now, we're living through a cost of living crisis in this country. One in four households regularly run out of money for essentials. Nearly 40% of people in this country end the month with no money left at all. I'm sure the cost of living crisis affects everyone here today, everyone watching online, some of us more than others. And you can look at your situation, you can look around you and think that struggling to make ends meet does not feel like being blessed. It feels the opposite. The rich look blessed. They look in a better place than I do. But when we don't have financial certainty, when we are struggling on a daily basis, that's when we are able to truly appreciate the blessings God offers us and look to the future he promises us. We are less likely to be blinded by the so-called riches this world provides because more often than not, we're not experiencing them. It helps give us clarity. And so we're better able to focus on what God provides for us and more dependence on him. We see through the false promises of this world and our own experience of life shows us that we cannot rely on them to satisfy our needs. Only God can do that. So our financial circumstances can affect our relationship with God. But regardless of that, if we understand and appreciate our spiritual poverty, if we long to know Jesus more, if we are humble, dependent on him, realize our deep need of him, then we will be blessed. Now we skip a few verses to verse 24 and look at the rich in contrast to the poor. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Before we study this verse, I'd like us for a moment to concentrate on the word woe. How often have we heard the phrase, woe is me? I think the use of this word has lost its meaning and strength in the modern world. According to Google, the phrase woe is me is an ironic or humorous exclamation. Humorous. Do you think Jesus is joking here? No. In fact, it's the exact opposite. The phrase woe is actually a word used to describe a deep or inconsolable grief or misery. Elsewhere, it's described as an expression of intense grief. Grief is never humorous. We need to understand that Jesus is being deadly serious here. When the word woe is used, it's a warning and it should make us all sit up and listen. And who does he direct this woe towards? The rich. We may not consider ourselves rich here today, 
But if we can afford a roof over our heads, meals every day, a means of transport, employment, then by the rest of the world's standards, we are rich. Surrounded by the comforts this world offers can give us a false sense of security. We have a job, we go on holiday, we change our phone every couple of years, maybe buy a car. Life feels good. We have everything we need. These temporary riches of this world make us feel safe, make us live in the moment, when in fact we need to concentrate not on the here and now, but our eternal destiny. Our earthly desires are met, and that can stop us looking beyond the world around us and ignore our spiritual need for God. We can feel less of a need to be dependent on him, and we can lose focus on what really matters. Our attention is drawn away from God by bright, shiny distractions. But if you value material things more than Jesus, if you seek comfort, fulfillment, happiness from your job, your family, your pastimes, then that's the most comfort, fulfillment and happiness you will ever experience. You'll miss out on the heavenly, eternal riches God offers us today. How many times have our job, our relationships, our pastimes let us down? Redundancy, betrayal, our team finishing fifth, not fourth. We know deep down the riches of this world never last. Wouldn't you want something everlasting instead? There is no reward for being material well-off now if we ignore our eternal future. Now back to the blessings. And in verse 22, Jesus says, Blessed are you who hunger now. Like verse 21, if we're hungry, then once again, we have proof that the world is not satisfying our needs. And that's both physically and spiritually. When we look at our lives, what do we hunger for? If we hunger for a right relationship with God, a closer relationship with him, then Jesus says our longing will be fulfilled. What's your relationship with God like right now? Are you looking to know him, to experience forgiveness? Then Jesus says that hunger can be satisfied. And if we know God and want a deeper relationship with him, then Jesus says that hunger can be satisfied as well. Don't be fooled by the fast food of this world. Money, family, possessions can seem to satisfy our immediate hunger, but it never lasts. Pretty soon, we'll be hungry again. Only God can truly satisfy our needs. And as we've seen already in this passage, for every blessing, there is a corresponding woe. And this comes in verse 25. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you shall be hungry. Another woe, another warning. You may be well fed now. You hunger for nothing. You desire nothing because you're focused on your physical and material situation. 
You are well fed. You are full. And because of that, there is no room in your life, in your world, for God. You're filled with your earthly possessions. You're filled with pleasures that this world provides. But they are temporary. They will disappear. And you will be hungry and spiritually empty. And empty without God, you will face a hunger that can never be satisfied. The good news is, God offers you eternal life with him. In the book of Revelation, chapter 7, verse 16, John writes about what eternal life will be like and mentions this very blessing. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. No hunger, no thirst. On to the next blessing, and that's also described by Jesus in verse 21. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Our world is broken, and we suffer for it. And the state of this world makes us weep. Who would believe there is a war going on less than 1,700 miles from this church? In parts of Africa right now, 146 million people are struggling with extreme hunger. In Somalia, children are dying from famine. Yes, we weep now. And as followers of Jesus, as the apostles were, they will face persecution and worse. There will be weeping. It's the same for all followers of Christ. We will suffer persecution in some form. Rejection. We will suffer. We will weep. But Jesus tells us to be faithful. For you shall laugh. There will be suffering. There will be times of weeping. But it will be worth it. For, as it reads in Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, when we are with Christ, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. The corresponding woe for this blessing is found in verse 25. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. However, seek enjoyment from this world. Put your faith in the happiness that this earthly pleasures offer, and your laughter will not last. Your joy in the things of this world will fade away. We experience a fleeting happiness now when we could enjoy an everlasting happiness in eternity with Christ. On to our final blessing in verse 22. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you, and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. This final blessing is directed to followers of Jesus. If you follow him, you will face persecution. Note here, because of the Son of Man. It's because of following Christ you should expect persecution. And Jesus lists four types his followers will suffer. Hate, exclusion, insults, and rejection. 
It's a very tough list to consider. No one wants to be hated. There may be times we've experienced dislike from someone, maybe someone we don't get along with, but to be hated by someone is intense and horrible. No one wants to be excluded, to feel isolated, ostracized. It's not nice being left out. It can be a very lonely experience. You'll face insults, you'll be rejected, and your very character will be called into question. Following Jesus means you'll stand out because you're living in a different world. As I mentioned at the start, you chose not to conform to the values and expectations that this world expects us to follow. You're living in a different world. You've chosen to follow the Son of Man, to stand up and be known for what you believe and place Christ first in your life. In return, Jesus says that you will be blessed and that you should rejoice. Verse 23, rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. God rewards those who are faithful towards him and in spite of this hardship, rejoice in the fact that being persecuted is also a mark of a Christian. It shows that you are following God and doing his will because that's how people treated the prophets in the Old Testament. Every blessing in this chapter is followed by a woe. This is our final woe and it's in verse 26. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. A final woe, a final warning. When faced with the hardship that comes from following Jesus, there will be a huge temptation for us to remain quiet, or worse, compromise our beliefs. It's tough being treated differently, being left out. It's much easier to conform to this world, to seek approval rather than face anger, to be popular rather than persecuted. When people speak well of you, when people praise you at work, amongst your family and friends, then stop and consider why. Is it because you're reflecting Jesus' values through a godly life? There's nothing wrong with that. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, it says, Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Or are we spoken well of because we're in agreement with the world? We agree with its values even though they may contradict what we know is true. We live in a social media culture. Apart from our normal interactions, our life online features the ability to like whatever we post. Stories, pictures, events, a thumbs up, a heart means people like and approve of what we're posting. Rather than speaking well of us, they are clicking well of us. There's nothing wrong with this unless we place too much importance on it. Our happiness, our comfort shouldn't be based on likes, but on love, the love of God. And that love wasn't displayed through a post online, through a like, but by the death of his own son. Jesus willingly gave his life as an act of love 
to repair our broken relationship with God and give us a path to forgiveness for our sins and the promise of eternal life. What would you prefer? 100 likes online or eternal life in heaven? So we've seen that Jesus is the king of the kingdom. We've studied the blessings of the kingdom. And finally, we'll look at the reward of the kingdom. Let's face it. The blessings Jesus speaks about don't initially sound like blessings. Being poor, being hungry, being sorrowful, being persecuted. But the reward for following Jesus far outweighs the cost. In the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 18, we read, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. Later on in Luke, chapter 13, when describing God's kingdom, Jesus says, people will come from east and west and north and south and will take their place at the feast of the kingdom of God. The poor will enjoy a feast. The hungry will be filled. This will be a joyous experience. Those who follow Christ will come from the north, south, east, and west. They will not be excluded, for theirs will be the kingdom of God. Yes, the journey will be tough, but the reward is greater. However, here's the problem. Deep down, if we're being honest with ourselves... We don't believe it does. We don't truly believe the reward outweighs the cost. Look into your own hearts this morning. What are we all looking forward to? Is it eternity? Or is it a holiday we've got booked? Is it a closer walk with God? Or a walk down the high street for some retail therapy? If we believe the reward outweighs the cost, then why do so many Christians live as if being rich, being comfortable, living in a nice house, in a nice area, with a nice school, is the goal of life? If we believe the reward outweighs the cost, then why do so many Christians seek fulfillment through their jobs, through their careers, by getting a promotion and validation from our bosses? If we believe the reward outweighs the cost, then why do so many Christians move out of poorer parts of our city to live in a nicer area? If we believe the reward outweighs the cost, then why do we sometimes keep quiet about Jesus and our faith for the fear that friends, family, and colleagues might exclude or reject us? Don't get me wrong, I'm speaking to myself here as well. If people looked at your Facebook profile or read your tweets, would they know we follow Jesus or do we exclude that from our messages for for fear of being unliked, for fear of getting a thumbs down rather than a thumbs up? Are we paying lip service to living in God's kingdom? Because in reality, we are living in and for this world. Do we really show that we believe God's promises by the way we live? Because if we live in this world, then this world leads to woe. Don't forget, Jesus clearly displayed in this passage and throughout the Bible who he is. 
so that we will sit up and listen to him, so that we will listen carefully and understand. Understand that he is the king of the kingdom, that he promises the blessings of the kingdom and the reward of the kingdom. And we can trust that Jesus is really telling the truth because he experienced poverty, hunger, and hatred himself more than we'll ever experience ourselves for the reward. Jesus was willing to pay the price that he is asking us to pay and his disciples to pay. He took the journey, carried the cross himself through pain, persecution, and betrayal. Reviled, rejected, he gave his life on that cross, knowing that the coming reward for his actions would be greater than the unimaginable pain he endured. I'm being direct here because Jesus, as we've seen in today's passage, is being very direct. Woe is a warning. Jesus leaves no doubt about what it means to follow him. Yes, there are blessings, but not the kind of blessings we expect. If you follow Jesus, if you're considering following Jesus, then he wants you to know what you're signing up for. He also wants you to know not to be afraid or terrified. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. And that's a promise from God in Deuteronomy chapter 31. He also is clear about the consequences of rejecting his kingdom. The consequences of choosing to live in this world and not his world. It's not missing out on eternal glory. No. You'll be facing eternal woe instead. So as a finish, I'll go back to my first question. Which world are you living in right now? Where do you see comfort and fulfillment? You have a choice. Blessings or woe. Make sure you choose to look beyond this world and focus on living in God's kingdom and receiving his blessings. Thank you. Ask the worship team to come up now. Thank you.